If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, the better pastor is not here this morning. Um, and I want you to be praying for Brock. Right about two minutes ago, um, he started preaching a graveside service um, for one of his few remaining aunts. Um, if you uh, know anything about Brock's story, um, he's, he's experienced a lot of loss in his life. Um, lost both of his parents at a pretty young age. And, uh, and so family is precious to him. And uh, this was a, an aunt uh, on his father's side. There aren't many Tharps left, and now there's one less. And so he's, he's preaching that right now. So I know he would covet your prayers this morning. All right, so we ready to get going? All right, reunion tour 2020. Back on the road again. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings this morning. And we are going to be looking at a couple of stories that relate to what we've been singing this morning. And uh, it's, it's, it's Elisha. We're going to be talking about Elisha this morning. And, and I've been looking a lot at Elisha in the last couple of weeks, and I'm just wondering what do we need to know about him that would make this stuff make more sense. A lot of you think I'm probably just mispronouncing it, and you're thinking I'm supposed to be saying Elijah, but I have a lisp or something. It is Elisha. He was Elijah's successor, okay? We meet him in the book of 1 Kings, in 1 Kings 19, when God is having a conversation with Elijah, and he tells him to do three things. I want you to anoint this person king of this, this person king of this, and I want you to anoint Elisha as your successor to be my prophet after you, okay? And so that's where we meet him. But, you know, Elijah, Elisha, Kind of, kind of the same, but, but not really. See, I've been doing a lot of looking in, in babynames.com lately. I have no idea why that would be important to me. I don't get a vote, okay? Um, but Elijah, if you look it up in babynames.com, means my God is Yahweh. Or as Jacob Stout would say, Yahweh! We've missed that, Jacob. We've missed it. Welcome back. Um, Elisha does not mean that. Elisha means God is my salvation. But how many of you know anyone named Elisha? Anyone? Bueller? On babynames.com, Elijah is the number seven most popular name for boys in the United States. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Elisha is number 847. So that means someone's named Elisha. Someone, I don't know. I don't know who. But see, it reminds me back in the 80s. Any children of the 80s here? See, back in the 80s, I was a huge Rick Springfield fan. I had a mullet like he did. I did. It was permed in the back for a little while. I actually had it permed all over one time, but I went home for dinner and my mom said, get out of my house unless you fix your house. That is a a true story. But see, Rick Springfield had a song called They Call Me Bruce. Because real rock and roll fans preferred Bruce Springsteen. And so as I think about Elijah and Elisha, I'm seeing Rick Springfield's mullet. Actually, that couldn't work because Elisha was bald. So my, my... It breaks down right there. Why do I say that he's bald? Because the first thing that he does after he's anointed the prophet 
some kids make fun of him, call him a baldy. And he calls two mama bears from Cade's Cove, and they maul, these two mama bears maul these 42 boys. So somebody say something about my hair. You feeling lucky, my friend? Call me Elf. One, well, that's a difference. Elisha had twice the anointing of the Spirit on his life than Elijah did. He did twice as many miracles. And we hear about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and that's a great story in 1 Kings. But, gosh, if you read 2 Kings, Elisha made bitter water clean. He raised a boy from the dead and gave him back to his mom. He healed a leper named Naaman. Time and time again, he just blew people's minds because the anointing of God was on him so thick. And so this morning, I want us to look at Elisha from the book of 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. Are you ready to do this? I want to talk about two stories that are back to back. The first story is verses 1 through 7. The second story is 8 through 23. Two stories, two miracles that Elisha performed that I think relate to you and me today. Okay? If it doesn't relate to you and me today, I'm not into teaching history classes. Okay? This matters to you today. This can matter in your faith walk. This can change the way you look at tomorrow. It could change what you do and what you don't do and what you expect from God. Are we ready to do it? All right, we're going to read the first story from the message translation. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And I think the point of this story, the thing I want you to get out of this story, is that God is the God of the big things, and He's the God of the little things. God is God of the huge things, and He's God of the minute, mundane, everyday cares of your life, things that keep you awake at night, things that wake you up early, that no one else in the world knows about. God is the God of all those things. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. One day, the guild of prophets came to Elisha and said, you can see that this place where we're living under your leadership is getting cramped. We have no elbow room. Give us permission to go down to the Jordan where each of us will get a log. We'll build a roomier place. Elisha said, go ahead. One of them then said, please come along with us. He said, certainly. He went with them. They came to the Jordan and started chopping down trees. As one of them was felling a timber, his axe head flew off and sank in the river. Oh no, master, he cried out, and it was borrowed. The holy man said, where did it sink? The man showed him the place. He cut off a branch and tossed it in at that spot, and the axe head floated up. Grab it, he said, and the man reached out and took it. Why is this story in the Bible? I mean, I mean, really, it's just like, so Elisha is the head prophet. He's got a, a lot of little a wannabe prophets, prophet boys living with him. And they basically come to him and say, hey, our room's too small. Anybody feel that way? Anybody just feel like my room's too small? I just need, man, a king-size bed would be awesome. You know, or, man, this couch, it's not comfortable. You know, my car, it's making a funny noise. I don't even have a car. Anybody have those kind of thoughts? Is that life for anybody? It's like life is not exactly the way you want it to be. And sometimes do you feel guilty going to God saying, God, why would you even care about this? All these problems in the world. Anybody scared to pray for yourself? Because 
You know God's been so good to you and, and other people are hurting so bad. God, hey, God's big enough for both. Pray for yourself. Bring every need to God. But pray for other people more than you pray for yourself. Okay? So this is what's happened. These guys say, we want a bigger room. They go down to the Jordan River. And they start chopping down trees. And one guy loses his axe head. It's a borrowed axe. Axes, you can go down to Ace Hardware right now, and you can buy, probably buy one for like $14. If you want to spend more, you probably can. But back in the day, metal was hard to get. It was very expensive. And this was a time of war. People were fighting. And so this axe was very valuable, and he had borrowed it, and it flew off into the river. Axe heads, if they're made of metal, don't float. They don't swim. They sink. See, you make anchors out of stuff like that. And so this guy probably doesn't have the money to buy another axe to give it back. So he's going to owe this guy something, to whoever owned the axe. And he cries out to Elisha and says, Help. Elisha says, well, where'd it go in? He pointed to where it went in. He cuts off a stick, throws it into the water, and miraculously, try this at home, see if it works for you. Throw a stick into your pool, if you got a pool, and see if you can get metal to float up to the top. Miraculous, yes. Significant, yes. When you consider that the God who did that can do anything. And it didn't like, seem like it was too hard. See, here's the thing. This guy's axe head had fallen, had fallen off into the water. It was gone. That was his reality. That was his circumstance. He cried out to Elisha, cried out to God through Elisha. God changed his circumstance. God can change your reality today. He can change your circumstances today. Does he always? No. But that does not mean that he cannot change your reality. See, it doesn't matter if it's a big, huge thing, because the next story we're going to talk about is a, is a matter of national security. I mean, a nation is on the line here, and God intervenes and changes the reality. Our world needs an intervention like that right now. Would you agree? I mean, there is not a political election that's going to fix this. There is not some social movement that's going to fix this. Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone, is going to fix this if it's going to get fixed. It's a big thing. But God can do it. He can turn it around. And if the church would embrace that and start living expectantly towards that, I think we'd be, we'd be amazed at what we see. Because it's not always about changing the circumstance. It's about seeing the circumstance differently. Which is what I'm going to talk about in just a second. So here's my first question to you. Have you lost confidence in God being the Lord over the little things in your life? If so, bring those things back to the altar. I think too many of us walk around thinking this, this little stuff, it's just nobody knows about this but me. You know, it's, it doesn't matter to anybody else. No, God wants to be Lord of all of your life. He doesn't want you carrying around weight that He's saying, hey, I'll take it from you. Come to Him with the little things. Come to Him with the big things. 
Miracles do still happen. Second story is this. Because sometimes God doesn't change our circumstance. He just lets us see it differently. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Are you still with me? All right. This is a story about national security. I'm going to start reading it in the message translation because I think it's easier for the kids to follow along. But then when we get towards the end, I'm going, to sh- I'm going to switch back to the ESV because I like the way it's worded better. So that's why I'm doing the flip-flop thing. Okay, so here we go. Verse 8. One time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such place, I want to set an ambush. The holy man, this is Elisha, sent a message to the king of Israel. Watch out when you're passing this place because Aram has set an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place to which the holy man had warned. This kind of thing happened all the time. So, so far in the story, the king of Aram, if you have the NIV or the ESV, it probably says the king of Syria. Syria is at war with Israel. Elisha is not with the king of Syria. He's somewhere else, but every time the king of Syria wants to set an ambush for Israel, somehow Elisha knows about it. And he warns the king of Israel, and it happened over and over again. Verse 11, the king of Aram was furious over all of this. He called his officers together and said, tell me who is leaking information to the king of Israel. Who is the spy in our ranks? But one of his men said, No, my master, dear king, it's not any of us. It's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you say, even when you whisper in your bedroom. And the king said, Well, then go find out where he is, and I'll send someone and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then they dispatched horses and chariots, an impressive fighting force, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Okay, so you're with me so far? Somehow this king of Syria, the king of Aram, whatever you want to call him, he, he's furious because Elisha keeps reading his mail. He keeps knowing what he's going to do before he does it. But yet he still thinks, I can send somebody to kill him. And he's not, not going to know about that. See, that's how politicians think. They follow up one bad decision with another bad decision. I'm going to switch over to the ESV translation now and just read three verses, 15 through 17. The next morning, this is what happens. When the servant of the man of God, that's a servant of Elisha, probably one of those servants that was cutting down trees when the axe head flew into the river. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, he went out and behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city Picture yourself like in Weir's Valley, up in the towns in there. You get, get a nice little cabin. You're just relaxing overnight. Sun comes up. You walk out on your porch first thing in the morning, and you look up at the, at the, from the valley to the, to the ridges around you, and you're surrounded by an army. Horses, chariots, modern day, tanks, soldiers, airplanes circling. How how horrifying would that be? And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he he goes to Elisha. 
He calls Elisha out to look. He says, alas, that's like, it's a, alas means a cry of desperation. We're, we're doomed. This is it. What shall we do? And verse 16, listen to this. Hear this. Let this in. He said, do not be afraid. I could, there's, you've been hearing Brock and I say this in different ways throughout the last several months. Hey, how, whatever we do, do not be afraid. Why? Because the same thing that's happening here is happening for us. Do not be afraid. Why? For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Church, do not be afraid today. Why? Because those who are with us or for us are more than are with or for them. And then look at verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Why am I so fired up about that story? It's because of this. That army of of fiery chariots and horses that was surrounding Elisha didn't just show up. They were there the whole time. See, God didn't change their reality, their circumstance. He just changed their ability to see it. He just changed, he opened their eyes. Could we pray this over each other? Lord, open our eyes so we can see the reality that we're not alone. That God is not confused. He's not wringing his hands. He's not helpless. Do we understand what he's doing? No. But we are not alone. Sometimes it's not about changing our reality. It's about seeing our reality so much differently. See, there's so much in this story and in a simple walk of faith about just how you see the world, isn't there? I've talked about this before. Some of the most intense interactions my wife and I have ever had have been on road trips. We travel differently. In the same car, we experience the same journey very differently. Like, I'm chill, nothing's bothering me. And she ha- she's having strokes and conniptions. Say, I'm not saying it's unwarranted. Maybe I'm just a really bad driver. Could be. My driving record does not indicate that, though. Anyway, do you understand that? The same journey, we're all on, we could all be on the same journey, and, and we just we experience it differently. What's different is the way we see it. And I'm not saying I see it right and she's seeing it wrong. I'm saying as an example, the way we're walking, the way the church is walking through this time in history, radically different. You get radically different opinions. Everybody looking at kind of the same information and reacting differently. It is possible to see things from a spiritual perspective and it changed everything. Whether you agree with that or not, that's a true statement. That's what happened here. Elisha's servant couldn't see it, but they were there. There's all kinds of things going on in the heavenlies right now that we are so unaware of. 
And I'm not standing up here saying, oh, I'm aware of them. No, I'm saying we, collectively, have no idea the spiritual warfare that's going on at every moment. But it doesn't mean God is not warring on behalf of those He loves. See, unless you go back a couple of chapters from 2 Kings chapter 6 to 2 Kings chapter 2, you won't have the perspective that Elisha had. What am I talking about? If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 2, right about verses 9 through 12, we find out that this wasn't the first time that Elisha had seen this army. He had experienced God in this way before. This is what it says, verse 9. This is right before Elijah is taken up to heaven. And Elisha gets to watch the whole thing. Verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And when Elisha saw it, he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. I don't know if Elisha just walked around every moment from that moment forward seeing that he was surrounded by a heavenly army. I don't know that. We, we would just be conjecturizing, but it sure did seem like he, he didn't think there was anything he couldn't do. He believed God over and over again to interrupt the natural order of things and impose a heavenly kingdom on earth. And I'm just thinking maybe it was because he knew this wasn't about him. It might look like he was surrounded. But he was surrounded by the king's army. Why do I, why do I bring that up? I, I already said just a second ago, all of us can be on the same journey and experience it totally differently. I don't know how you've experienced God in your life. But if you've been walking with Him, if you know Jesus, you have experienced Him, Right? It could, have, it could have been a physical healing kind of a thing. It could have been a relationship restored. It could have been your, your life was going to hell in a handbasket and God picked you up and put you on a different path and you know that you couldn't have done it yourself. He could have saved your mother, saved your father. I don't know, but you do. See, Elisha had seen that army before. He remembered how God had, had been in the past and he trusted him to do it again. How have you seen God moving in your life? What have you seen him do? What's, what are some things that are undeniably him? Go back to those things. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said, we want to strive to have a faith that remembers. Brock talked about a couple of weeks ago, remembering the stories. So that when, it, when, the, when the storm comes, you're not focused on, on, the, on the storm, but you're focused on the one who controls it. How has God moved in the past? Remember that. Claim it. Let those memories of the goodness of God displayed in your own life, let those be the things that direct your steps. Let those be the things that 
dictate how you react in times like these. Live with a faith based on what He's done that is unexplainable to the world. I think the church keeps looking at the world to think that, you know, we make sense. The, the New Testament says that, that the things of God are foolishness to the world. If we're going to live this Jesus kind of love, it's not going to look normal. It's not going to be politically correct. It's not going to mean that we win on this earth. But we definitely win in the next. The reality is this. We don't understand. But the army's there. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. You know these verses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why would we need armor if there's not a war going on? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, yeah, Elisha had an army with him but you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Elisha had an army with him, but we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Elisha had these angelic forces. We have the the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living inside of us. That's a better deal. How do I know that? Because Jesus said so. He said it's better for me to go so that the Comforter will come. That heavenly army that you might be looking for lives inside of you. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There are more for us than against us. Church, say that with me. There are more for us than against us. Because greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And see, I just want us to cry out like Elisha did. Lord, please, open our eyes that we can see it. Because sometimes he's not going to change our reality, but he might change our ability to see it clearly. And we can, when we see it clearly, we know that we're never alone. Last thing I want to say is this. I find it interesting what the angel army actually did in this story. Okay, so let's, let's look at that. We're going to go to 2 Kings. This is the end of the story, verses 18 through 23. This is what the Word says. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike these people with blindness. Again. Inability to see. God, strike them with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. I didn't bother to look how far it was from Dothan, where they were, to Samaria. But I I would think it would be really hard to lead a bunch of blind people, a whole army, away, and then follow. So... Something else might be going on here. As soon as they entered Samaria, verse 20, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. 
So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha. So we, we learn here that the king of Israel is in Samaria. Okay? He's in Samaria, and that means the armies of Israel are in Samaria. And so Elisha had led the army of Syria right to the army of the Israelis. Okay? So that, that's what's going on here. So the king of Israel saw them, and he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? I, you ask twice because you think you're going to get a better answer. I don't know, but he said it twice. He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword, with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. This is not how the story looked like it was going to play out, right? Captures this army, takes them to the Israeli army so he can kick tail, right? No, you're going you're to cook for them. You're going to feed them. You're going to bless them. And you're going to send them home. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Fascinating story. So much we can pull out. I just want to ask this question. What did the angel army actually do? It's like that scene in Toy Story when Rex says, what does a space ranger actually do? What does this army do? Did, did, the, chari did the chariots, I mean, did they fight? I don't, I don't think so. Because all we get here is the Syrians attacked, Elisha prayed, and they became blind. Why did they become blind? That word for blindness, if you, if you look it up, it, that word is only used twice in the whole Old Testament. In the Hebrew language, that, that word is sanvare. Okay? It's only used right there and once in Genesis. And both times, it means a blinding light. See, there's another word for, for actual physical blindness, and that's the word vivare. And it's used like 25 times in the Old Testament. But this word, a blinding light, what did the army do? They sparkled. They, they shone brilliant. They were a blinding light. Elisha prayed, and that army lit up. Does that remind you of any stories in the New Testament? Does it remind you of maybe Saul on the road to Damascus when a blinding light, which was Jesus himself, made him temporarily blind? You see, the army blinded them. Not to punish them, but to later let them see clearly. See, the, they could still see well enough to follow Elisha from Dothan to Samaria. And so the army of the Lord became a really bright light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Oh, and by the way, you, you are the light of the world. And so what does that mean to us today? See, Remember that old song we sang when we were kids? I may never march in the cavalry. I don't know the words. 
Let your ears hang. Is that the, that's a different song. Yeah, but I'm in the Lord's army, right? We are in the army of the Lord. And guess what he left us here to do? To be the light of the world. We don't generate that light ourselves, but we reflect it. Maybe the role of the church in days like this is to let the light of Jesus reflect off of us such that it blinds the world. It blinds the world so that they can see differently when God opens their eyes. Am I making this stuff up? I don't think so. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation say this, For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says to the Philippian church, do everything without complaining and grumbling so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God as you hold out the word of truth, shining like the stars in the universe. See, the enemies are approaching. What's the church's response supposed to be? According to what I read in this story, which is a way more New Testament story than any other fight scene in the Old Testament, because usually there's like heads flying off. Here, there's no fighting. There's just shining. And then the king wants to do what comes naturally. Oh, we got them. Can we take them? No. Bless them. Feed them. Send them back to their master. Because this is not the real fight. The real fight is for the world to see and recognize the glory of God. And guess what, people? He uses disease to do it. He uses global pandemics to do it. He he uses people who have to grow up in broken homes and figure out that God's the only parent they can count on. He, He uses a lot of really bad things for really glorious purposes. Why would we think this would be any different? Let the church start living like we have a confidence that the army is there and we are not alone. Let us focus more on feasting than fighting. Let us focus more on serving than slaughtering. See, we can respond in kindness in the face of difficulty. I don't care what it is. But we can respond when we realize that we are never alone. See, when we start feeling like we're alone, we get isolated and we get fearful. Anybody notice this in the world today? Isolate us. Make us feel like we're alone. Rather than recognizing that Hebrews 13.5 is true when it says, when God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The last words in Matthew 28, the last words in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, behold, I am with you, even to the ends of the age. Guys, that is true today. Now, God might not change our circumstances right away. It might, we might be like this for a while, but He surely can open our eyes so that we can see the reality of what's going on in the heavenlies. That's my prayer over us today. I'm not standing before you as one that says... I can see it. I want to see it. Don't you? Wouldn't you love 
God, to open your eyes, to open the eyes. What if, the, if God opened the collective eyes of the sleeping giant we call the church? And we took seriously loving people the way Jesus says love them, regardless of what's going on in the world. And that became our rallying cry. People, it doesn't matter what color, what culture, what race, what background, we just loved people who are all image bearers of the King. Father, I want to pray for these people right now. I want to pray just like Elisha prayed, that the eyes of their hearts would be open, that they might see what's really going on in the world, that they might see how to respond in love as a people who are redeemed and forgiven and are, and are left here to try to be a part of, of that greater redemption story that you're still playing out in the world. Show us how to do that. God, I pray for some people in here that, that just desperately need that lost axe head to float. They need a miracle in their life. They need, they need a change in their circumstance, a change in the reality that can only come from you. And I, and I pray for other people that, God, they just need a fresh set of eyes to see it, to see that they're not alone. I thank you for the truth that's in your word and the way that you can be our teacher when we just have the gift of having our ears opened up. See, that's what Paul prayed over the church when he said he prayed for the gift of revelation, that we would have the capacity to, to understand the height and breadth and width and depth of the, of the love of God. I pray for that rev same revelation to open the eyes of the people in this room, the people watching online, because we believe you still turn things around and we believe you are up to something Help us remember the ways we've seen you work in the past and claim that faithfulness in days like this. Now let us respond in worship and decide right here and right now to set our hearts on the fact that there is a story worth telling. There's a story worth telling and that story is about you. Forgive us for living for, for things so much smaller. Receive our worship. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.